Amen. Would you please open, as I said, your Bibles to Psalm 106. It is Thanksgiving weekend, and we hope you all had a wonderful holiday. If you've been working really hard, uh, hopefully it has been a time to rest. If you haven't seen your family in a while, hopefully it has uh, been a time to see your family. Uh, if you've been sick, hopefully you've been recovering. That said, the holidays can be hard because some of us experience brokenness in relationships, and the holidays can offer a stark contrast between what we hope to expect from our relationships and the reality of brokenness. Some of us are homeless or housing insecure or unemployed or underpaid, and the holidays bring added financial stress and worry. And also some of us are mourning the loss of loved ones this past year and the holidays or, or in years past. And the holidays always remind us of people who are no longer with us. So our prayers are with you. The scriptures tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So may the whole church empathize with those who, uh, who are going through difficult times. Uh, in addition to the spiritual help, we also stand ready to provide material help as well. So please share your concerns and worries with us, with your friends, and so we can know how to help you. As, at church, as you can see from looking around the room, we are already in the Advent season. At the beginning of service, we lit the first candle of our Advent wreath that signified waiting for the shepherd. The teachers and children in our preschool have always, uh, already been rehearsing uh, for weeks their Christmas pageant, and some of us have already put up Christmas decorations, and no doubt many of us have already done some Black Friday Christmas shopping. But we don't want to dive headlong into the Christmas season without pausing to acknowledge the Thanksgiving season and to give thanks and praise to the Lord our God. Today's scripture is Psalm 106. It is a song of praise and thanks to God for his love and mercy, uh, especially considering the sinfulness of God's people. Today it is preserved for us as a poem, but originally it would have been an actual song set to music. Uh, let me give you a few comments to orient you to the psalm. Now, the structure is common to Jewish poetry. It is a chiastic. Okay, chiastic comes from the Greek letter chi, which is shaped like an X. And if you can kind of imagine an X, then you can see that the structure of it goes, uh, is symmetrical. So the beginning and the end of the psalm are both praise and thanks. Okay? The, then, then there is a prayer for salvation in verses 3 through 5. And again, there is a prayer for salvation in verse 47. Then we come to the, the, the next level in, and we have God's love and deliverance in verses 6 through 12, and then again, God's love and mercy in 44 through 46, and then the big chunk in the middle of the psalm, uh, D on the outline, is Israel's disloyalty, but God's discipline for 31 verses right in the middle here. And, and you can see I didn't, no, I didn't label these A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I labeled them A, B, C, D, and then C prime, B prime, and then A prime uh, going back out. So that kind of orients you to the structure, okay? So like I said, it starts off with uh, 
a, a few verses of praise. It ends with praise, otherwise known as a doxology, uh, and then it goes to a prayer, etc., etc. Now, the central section of the poem is section D, which describes many incidents from Israel's history. I've numbered them for you on the outline, one through eight. Uh, and uh, this describes many uh, incidents from Israel's history where they did not treat God well. They rebelled and disobeyed. They grumbled and complained. They worshipped false gods and committed idolatry. We've been talking about that in recent weeks, idolatry. They were ungrateful to God, and in their ingratitude, speaking of thanksgiving, they forgot the wonderful and fantastic and miraculous things God had done for them. In short, they were sinful over and over and over again. Now, Psalm 106 also goes as a pair with Psalm 105. 105 focuses on God's goodness and power and acts, whereas Psalm 106 focuses on Israel's sin and disobedience. Now, since I'm a Bible teacher, I do not assume that all of us know about all of these incidents. So I will go through all of the allusions and take us to parts of Scripture that were written before this psalm that narrate the history of these incidents from uh, Israel's history. So uh, please be prepared to keep a finger or bookmark in Psalm 106, okay? So, uh, and then, you know, I, I think you could use, for example, the, the connection card in the, the seat back pocket in front of you, or, and, and then in addition to that, be prepared to, to flip backward, uh, specifically into uh, primarily the book of Numbers, but it will also be in Exodus, and you can uh, flip back and forth uh, that way, okay? So, um, it's a song, all right, with a lot of historical allusions. And I was thinking about uh, songs that we have in our culture that also have a lot of historical allusions. And one of the ones that I thought of was the Ballad of Davy Crockett, right, because, you know, born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, and then it kind of goes through the story of, of Davy Crockett. Uh, and then there's this other one, this rock and roll song, right, American Pie by Don McLean, uh, which has tons and tons of, of allusions, you know, mostly to rock music, but as you go through them, there's just dozens and dozens and dozens, and they go by so fast, you really uh, can't figure them out very clearly. And this psalm also goes through large pieces of Israel's history quickly. So I want to pause at each, at each uh, stanza and then uh, show us where all of that stuff comes from. But the, at its heart, this is a song of gratitude and praise. So the central point is not actually Israel's disobedience, but rather God's patience, love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And just as the Israelites had sinned over and over and over again, he has granted them grace and mercy over and over and over again. Now it is a song. Uh, the music itself is long since lost to us. It would be great if we actually had the music, right? Uh, but it is now a, a poem. So let us actually read the psalm in its entirety together. We don't want to lose the poetic or the, the musical uh, uh, element of it. So bearing in mind the, the structural uh, elements of the poem that I have uh, shown for you up on the screen and have for you on the outline. Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord or can show forth all his praise? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. 
Remember me, O Lord, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy." The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. When they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of, Air, of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and engulfed the company of Abiram. And a fire blazed up in that company. The flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe in his word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore he swore to them that he would cast them down in the wilderness and that he would cast their seed among the nations and scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and interposed and so the plague was stayed, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went hard with Moses on their account, because they were rebellious against his spirit. He spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the hand of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. 
Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel and so sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us together from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The psalm starts with two verses of a doxology or a praise. Point A on your outline is praise and thanks. And what do we learn from this opening stanza? Praise the Lord. Literally, it is the word hallelujah in Hebrew. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Okay, so we learn that He is worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. For He is good. He is worthy of thanks because He is, is good. His good. And He has loving kindness. Loving kindness. This Hebrew word chesed. Chesed. Loving kindness. Great love. And from everlasting to everlasting, he, he is everlasting. God is eternal. He has no beginning. And He has no end. So there is nothing that has existed before Him and nothing that will last beyond Him. Also, He is mighty, right? Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Psalm 147, verse 5. You former Awana students will know. You Awana teachers will know. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. So God is mighty. So we praise and thank God at the beginning of this song. How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. This is part of a prayer in verses 3 through 5, right? How blessed are those. It has echoes of Psalm 1. How blessed are those who keep uh, the, the Lord's words. And how blessed are those in Psalm 119 and through many other psalms. How blessed are those. Who, who practice justice and, and righteousness. And, and the, notice there's a transition from the first couple of verses about talking about God to talking to God. In other words, prayer. Right? In other words, prayer. And in these couple of verses, verses 4 and 5, it is individual, the first person singular. And not to spoiler alert, but in the prayer at the end, it's save us, O Lord our God. So it becomes plural. So here we are praying a, a singular uh, verse, uh, a singular uh, for, uh, prayer of, of salvation. Okay? And, in, and in this, in verse 5, we see that there are three things that, uh, three parallel experiences that the speaker is praying for. Right? First, that he can see the prosperity of your chosen ones. Okay, so he's praying for the prosperity of the nation, the chosen ones, right? the chosen people, the Jewish people. Second, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation. Again, gladness goes along with prosperity, and the nation is the collective, the collective nation of Israel. And thirdly, 
that I may glory, so there's that I may see, that I may rejoice, that I may glory in your inheritance. God's inheritance is the chosen people, the people of God. And in my Bible, there's a little footnote that says the people as the inheritance. Okay. So we start with a prayer for uh, a, pray, a prayer of praise and thanks and a prayer of salvation. And then point C on your outline, we have the first of, of, the, of God's love and deliverance. So here's where we start with uh, some historical allusion. Uh, verses 6 through 12 said, We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses. Okay, so keep a finger in Psalm 106. And let us turn to Exodus chapter 7. All the way back, second book of the Bible, seventh chapter. Okay, we're not going to read uh, Exodus 7, but in 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, what do we see? We see the ten plagues. So back in those days, the, the nation of Israel had, had, been, uh, had, had multiplied and was in the nation of Egypt. And there was a Pharaoh who didn't remember what Joseph had done uh, for him. And so, he, and so this, this descendant of Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, comes in and enslaves the people. And then God shows his power. Okay? So what the psalm says, the wonders and the abundant kindnesses. So what are they? It's, it's the various different, uh, it's the various different uh, plagues that he, he uses to show his power. The, uh, you know, turning the Nile into blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the hail, the boils, all of those things, right? Culminating with the death of every firstborn Egyptian. So they didn't remember any of those things, end of verse 7, but they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. But nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name. Okay. So they, they saved them for the sake of his name. So uh, part of the abundant uh, kindnesses is that, uh, again, the Lord had grown these people from uh, a family with 12 brothers Okay, into 12 tribes with 600,000 men of fighting age or above, as we learn in the book of Numbers. So then if you take the women and then also the, the children under uh, fighting age, we're talking about, you know, one and a half, maybe two million people. Right? Okay, so that happened over the course of 400 years. And then there was a rebellion by the, by the Red Sea. Okay, so... Uh, they, they escape from the Egyptians. They, they depart from the Egyptians. This is the Exodus. Then we're going to skip ahead to, to chapter 14. So chapter 14, and then uh, what happens in, in chapter 14? There, there is a rebellion. So even though uh, they're, they're gone, Pharaoh now, God is going to harden his heart. Okay? God is going to harden his heart. And, but there's a rebellion because when Pharaoh comes after them, read in 14... Uh, 11 and 12, we read this. The people then said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? They're being sarcastic. Right? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word? Didn't we tell you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? They had been crying out in their slavery, but now they have revisionist history. 
Right? We want to serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better us, for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But they're not going to die in the wilderness, at least not yet, this generation. And God says back in the psalm, nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name. God wants to glorify himself. So what does he do? What does he do? He saves them, and he tells them that. So in, back in Exodus verse 14, 4, he says this, Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Okay, so that's when they took off. And then also in verse, uh, verses 17 and 18, right, after, they had, uh, after they had spoken these uh, rebellious words, the uh, Lord says to Moses, verse 17, As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. We all know the story of the Red Sea. Uh, God parts the Red Sea. They, the Israelites start walking through on dry land. I will harden them. Egyptians are going to follow them. And then I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians, again, will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. Okay? So he's going to do that. Okay? And that is exactly what happened. Okay? That is exactly what happened. The Israelites got to dry land. The, uh, the chariots went through. Their wheels got stuck in the mud. God closed over the Red Sea over them, and the entire Egyptian army drowned. We all know this story. And then it, uh, the narrative closes with this, verses 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, they believed in the Lord, and his servant Moses. And that's exactly what happens, right? Uh, in, back in the psalm, we read, He saved them from the one who hated them, the Pharaoh. He redeemed them from the hand of the enemy, the, the army of Egypt. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Verse 12 in the psalm, Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. And that is exactly what we see in that last verse in uh, chapter 14. They believed in the Lord. And then all of chapter 15 Exodus 15 is a song of Moses and Israel singing praise to the Lord. Okay, so that is the uh, that is sort of the, you know point C on your outline: God's love and deliverance. And then we get, as I said, into the the meat of the uh, of the the psalm. We go into the longest section, which is 31 verses that describe six specific instances in which Israel acted unfaithfully to the Lord, and the Lord disciplined them for it, and then two lengthy periods of history where Israel was unfaithful to the Lord, okay? Eight historical uh, events in all. From the point of view of the psalmist and his audience, remember, at the time of this writing, Israel is still around, okay? Now, they might have been uh, scattered to the nations, perhaps. It's, it's a little bit unclear when this psalm was actually written, but it's, uh, it's fairly clear that it's at a time when Israel is not sort of at strength in its own, uh, in its own geographic area, but has been scattered uh, among the nations. Uh, and listen, from our point of view, looking back thousands of years, Jews have survived the millennia, haven't they? There is no doubt 
that God has a plan for the nation of Israel. As the scripture says, his plan is to restore the nation, restore the kingdom to Israel under a Messiah who will rule from Jerusalem. Uh, Now, here they are relatively few in number and scattered throughout the world even today, but they are still around, aren't they? After thousands of years, and even until 70 years ago, they didn't even have a land where they could establish a geographic country. You can't say that about some of the nations we are about to read about in this psalm. Yes, Egypt still exists, and God has a plan for Egypt as well, it says so in the scriptures, but Moab, Midian, Canaan, Aram, they're all gone. Even Babylon does not exist as Babylon anymore. So let's look at these incidents where Israel repeatedly rebels against the Lord and the Lord repeatedly disciplines them, albeit in love. The first one is grumbling about the food incident. The grumbling about the food incident. Okay, after they got out uh, of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, they quickly forgot his works, verse 13. They craved, they did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. Okay, so we are, uh, now we are going to turn to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Okay, so uh, as we go through these incidents, they're not necessarily in chronological order as they appear in the scriptures, but nonetheless, we have uh, Numbers chapter 11. Okay, uh, the, the, people, uh, the people complain is, is the header. Okay, now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. Numbers 11.1. 1. And the Lord, when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. There's some discipline right there that doesn't show up in the psalm. Okay, skip to verse 4. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. Also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Ugh. And then uh, verses 7, 8, 9 talks about manna and how they prepared it. Now, uh, if you look back in, in chapter 10, it actually tells us that this is the second year that they were, uh, that they were in the desert. Okay? The second year in the second month. There was actually an earlier time uh, in Exodus when uh, they had, uh, then hey, they had uh, also uh, you know, uh, cried out for food and the Lord had, had given them quail. But at that time, the, the scriptures doesn't say that the Lord's anger was kindled about them. And then right after that is when he gave them, introduced to them uh, manna for the first time. So that's back in Exodus 16. We're not turning to there. Okay? But this is in the second year, because that, that was right at the beginning of the first year they were, they were in the desert, uh, in the wilderness. And then this is the second year. Okay? But here we read in verse 10, Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. Okay? So Moses goes on to complain a little bit to, to, uh, to, to the Lord. Skip ahead. Now we're going to skip to Numbers uh, 11, verse 18. 11, 18. 
11.18, this is what uh, God says to Moses. He says, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. Oh yeah, you're going to eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. For we were well off in Egypt, end quote. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. Oh yeah, you shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you, why? Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you've wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Okay, so this is what's going on in here. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Okay, they craved intensely in the wilderness. We need meat, We we hate manna. So he gave them their request. Okay, but he sent a wasting disease among them. So if you skip then again to Numbers 11 to verse 31, now we read, now there went forth a wind from the Lord, brought quail from the sea, let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side, day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. It's three feet deep of birds. Okay, That's crazy. For, a mile, for miles around. Okay. While the meat was still between their teeth, because they wanted to eat it. Before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. Okay. So, that, uh, so the name of that place was called Kibrath Hatava, the graves of greediness, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. Okay. All right. So there's this lesson. Did they listen? They did not listen. Okay, next point on your outline. The rebelling against Moses incident, okay, verses 16 to 18. Then they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of Dathan. Okay, what happens? All right, so we're skipping ahead in history. We're going to go back in history a little bit later in the, in the, in the psalm. But here we turn to uh, Numbers chapter 16. Okay, Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. And this is the rebellion of Korah, who doesn't, whose name doesn't show up in the psalm, but his, his uh, compatriots do. Now Korah, son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram. Now those two guys are in the psalm. Okay? They, uh, they're, they're leaders, and then they, uh, they, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders in the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. Okay? So they're popular guys, they're, they're leaders, Okay? They assembled together against Moses and Aaron. Now this historically is right after uh, the, the, the failed conquest of the promised land. We're going to get into this later, but one of the key, uh, key events is that God told them to conquer the promised land, and then they didn't do it. And this is right after that happens, and they're you know, upset, and they're upset with Moses and Aaron, of all people. Uh, but then so they're going to rebel against them, and they say, you have gone far enough. The, all the congregation is holy, every one of them. The Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Why are you our leaders? Okay. Okay. So Moses heard this. He's going he's to tell them what's going on. Okay. So, uh, so here we go, and, and then we're going to... So, from verse 4, we're still in chapter 16, but we're going to skip to verse 23. Verse 23. Okay. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation. Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. Okay, verse 25. 
Then Moses uh, arose went and said, like, hey, get away from them. Get away from them, okay? So that, uh, verse 28, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me, Moses, to do all these deeds, for it's not my doing, okay? There, these guys are going to die. Get away from them, all right? Verse 31, as he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the mouth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all the men who, began, who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all who belonged with them went down alive to Sheol, hell, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. I mean, imagine how terrifying that must have been, right? Uh, so all Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they also said, the earth may swallow us up as well. And then, verse 35, fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. They, had, they were burning incense, so there was fire, and they burned up, Okay. So that's what happens here. Verse 17, back in the psalm, verse 17 and 18, the, the earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan, that's one of them, and engulfed the company of Abiram, that's the third guy, and a fire blazed up in their company and the flame consumed the wicked, those who were rebelling against the chosen leader of the Lord. So that's chapter 16. Okay, next, verse 19 through 23 in the psalm. The golden calf incident, famous incident, okay? Uh, we just taught this uh, not too long ago in, in, uh, in kids' church, okay? The golden calf, we now turn to Exodus, okay? So we're out of numbers. We're going to turn to Exodus uh, chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus, again, is the second book in the Bible. Exodus 32. Not going to read this whole thing, but we're going to read a handful of verses. So what happens at this time? is they've, they've gotten out, they've gone to Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai. He has received the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. And then in chapter 24, he's even gone and told the Israelites everything. And the Israelites have, have all said, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do, including, right, you shall have no other gods before me, commandment one, and you shall not create for yourself an idol, commandment two, of anything that you know, exists on the earth or above the earth or in the waters below. Okay, that's in chapter 24. But by chapter 32, now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled around Aaron and said, hey, come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, okay, well, take off your gold rings and your sons, your daughters, uh, bring them to me. They took off the gold rings, which were in their ears, brought them to Aaron. He took this from the hand. He fashioned it with a graving tool, molded and molded it into a calf. Okay? And they said, hey, this is your God, O, he, o Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Okay? Violated the commandments right off the bat. And so they, they, then they uh, went and partied, right? They had a feast. Okay. So what happens in 19 through 20, back in the psalm, they made a calf in Horeb. They worshipped a molten image. That's exactly what it says. They exchanged their glory, the glory of the Lord, which had been shown to them on Mount Sinai in thunder and lightning and smoke, earthquake, okay, for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot their Lord, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham. Ham, as you uh, might recall, is one of the sons of, of Noah. And awesome things by the Red Sea. We already talked about that. 
Okay, so that's verse 22. All right, verse 23. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them. Okay, going back to Exodus 32. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt. Uh, this is verse 7, verse 7. 32, 7, Exodus 32, 7. Have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, okay, get this, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Okay, so earlier he had made uh, of them, these uh, two, two million people maybe, right, a great nation out of one man, Abraham. Abraham he had chosen. Okay, and he told Abraham he was going to make, him, make a great nation from him. And now he, God says, I'm going to start over and make a great nation with just you. Back to the psalm. Had not, okay, therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him. Stood in the breach. That's a military term, okay? When there's a defensive wall, the wall gets a hole in it from attacks, then soldiers, defending soldiers have to go to that hole in the wall, the breach, to stand in the breach, okay? So... Israel's unfaithfulness has caused it a breach, and Moses has got to stand to them, stand to them, okay? And Moses says this, he entreated the Lord, back to Exodus 32, verse 11. He said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against the people, etc.? Verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak? Remember, he had done this so that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of of the earth. So he prays. He says, turn from your burning anger. Change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself. You swore by your own name and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all of this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord, verse 14, changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people, okay? So, Moses stood in the breach to turn away his wrath from destroying them. That's exactly what happened, okay? All right. Verse 20, uh, sorry, slide, uh, point four on your outline. Okay, now we get to the promised land and the, uh, and the 12 spies incident. Oh, actually, since we, uh, since we covered uh, number 16, let me point out, when you study this week, and I hope you go back and, and read these passages, in number 16, there's two other intercessions by Moses and by Aaron, where they also interceded for the people on their behalf to the Lord, okay, to appease his wrath. So if you notice that, you know, make note of that, okay? All right, so uh, on, now we have the promised land and the 12 spies, uh, Again, a very uh, famous uh, incident. We just taught it in, in kids' church. The psalm uh, describes it this way. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word. Okay? But they grumbled in their tent. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. All right. For now, now we turn back, in, uh, back to Numbers, chapter 13 and 14. Okay? So back to Numbers, 
chapter 13 and 14. Okay, here's, here's what happens, right? They're, they've made it through uh, the desert, through Sinai and all that, and they are at the door of the promised land, which we know today as geographic Israel, right? Canaan. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, okay, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. And you shall send a man from each of the father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. Okay, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 men, 12 spies to spy out the land. Skip to verse 17. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live in it are strong or weak and whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or is it bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or do they have fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Okay, so that's what they do. They go in, they get back, okay? But then, but then they give, uh, they give a bad report, okay? Skip to uh, verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, okay, 40 days, significant number of days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the uh, congregation, etc., etc. They thus, Verse 27, thus they told them, we went into the land where you sent us. It certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They had picked some grapes. Nevertheless, the people who had lived in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the, the side of the Jordan. Okay. So they're saying, no, we can't take it. Caleb says, yes, we absolutely, we should go take it, okay? But the, but, and, and Joseph, the, the other, the, uh, Caleb and Joseph are the two spies who are loyal and faithful, and they say, absolutely, we should go take the land, because the Lord is with us. But the other ten spies, they, they said that they, they can't, okay? So they convince the others that uh, we're not going to do that, okay? So they did not believe in his word, which is to take the land, Verse 25, back in the psalm, we grumbled in their tents, or sorry, but they grumbled in their tents. They did not vo listen to the voice of the Lord. Okay, so that's, uh, now we uh, turn to uh, Numbers 14. Okay, then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Okay, verse 2, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. There's that complaint again. Man, why did you bring us out here? We should have just died there, right? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land uh, that to fall by the sword? You know, our wives and children are going to become plunder, etc., etc. Okay. All right. This is very, very bad. So there's the grumbling, okay? Uh, chapter 14, 5 through 10. Uh, Joshua and Caleb say, no, 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 no. We, we, should, we should definitely go and do it. Um, and then verses uh, 19 through, uh, sorry, 11 through 19, okay, chapter 14, 11 through 19, is the Lord's threat. And then Mo Moses intercedes for them again. Basically, the Lord says, I'm going to wipe them out again. I'm going to turn them, 
uh, I'm going to uh, make you into the nation. He says that again. Okay. Moses intercedes again. He says, if you sl- uh, verse 15, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who heard of your name will say, uh, it was because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Okay? But I pray for you to pardon the people. So God says, okay, uh, because you said that, I will pardon them, but here's the discipline. This generation, the leaders who uh, decided they weren't going to take the land, they're going to die in the desert. Forty days of spies in the, the land are going to turn into 40 years of desert wandering, and then the, the, the adults are all going to die, and then the next generation is going to take it. So I think of myself as being 52 years old, right? So I tell my kids this when, when we talk about this, 40 years in the desert, I'm going to die. Mama's going to die. We're the unfaithful ones. And then you kids, there's my daughter, there's my son, there's, some, there's another daughter back there, you kids are the ones, 40 years from now, when, Kaya, when you're 52, are the ones that are going to take the land. Okay? So that's, that's how that works. Okay? This is what he's going to do. And even then is a grace to them, right? Because he could just wipe them all out. But he doesn't do that. Okay, so, therefore he swore to them that he would cast them down in the wilderness. That's what that is. It's 40 years in the wilderness. That whole generation is going to die. And then, verse 27, in the psalm, back in the psalm, he would cast their seed among the nations and scatter them in the lands. All right. um, It doesn't say that in in Numbers 14 exactly, but it does say that in a number of different places in the scriptures. And so we don't need to to look these up, but uh, I put them on the screen for you. Okay. Uh, In the the law, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he says this, you will perish among the nations, your enemy's land will consume you. It's a threat if you don't obey, right? Deuteronomy, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. You will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. It's a threat if you don't follow him. Deuteronomy later in 28, moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. There you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, idols in other words, which you or your fathers have not known. And then much later, the prophet Ezekiel says this, also I swore to them, this is, he's quoting the Lord, also I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them among the lands. Okay? So the Lord actually did scatter them, as we, uh, which as we read at the end of the psalm is part of the point to ask the Lord to regather the nation from being scattered. Okay, okay point six, the Baal Peor incident. Now we get to uh, verse 28 to 31 in the psalm and also Numbers 25. Numbers 25 if you want to find your way there. Okay, at the end of the 40 years, this is what's happening. Just before the conquering of Canaan, okay, Moab and Midian are two other countries. They are allies. They hire this prophet, really a false prophet, Balaam, one of the most infamous, infamous characters in the whole scriptures. This is the guy, if you recall, the, whose donkey talked to him. Okay, all right. Balaam sold out. He took the money from Moab and Midian, but he couldn't curse Israel because God's telling him what to say, and he he says he can't do it. But what he did do was tell Moab and Midian how to weaken Israel. Okay, you can't curse Israel, but I'll tell you how to beat them by seducing them. Okay, so in Numbers 25, we see how this works. Numbers 25 not going to read all of this, but Numbers 25, 
says this. Okay, while Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. We've seen this already, right? They played the harlot. The daughters of Moab. For they, the Moabites, invited the people of Israel to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Idolatry. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Baal is a false god, an idol, a demon. Okay? And the Lord was angry against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each one of you slay, each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. When you worship a false god, you get the death penalty. Right? Then behold, okay. One of the sons of Israel came in and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman. In the sight of Moses, it's a brazen hookup. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, while they were weeping at the doorway at the tent of meeting. So all these executions have taken place. They're weeping. And here, come, here trots this guy, Israelite guy, with a Moabite woman, a Midianite woman. Okay? So then what happens? When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he got up from the midst of the congregation. He took a spear in his hand, and we, he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through the body. And you can imagine that they might have been in a particular act, and so he could get them both with one, uh, with one spear thrust. Right? Okay. All right, and then it says... Verse 8, so the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. Those who died by the plague was 24,000. It doesn't actually say earlier that there was a plague, but there was a plague. In addition to the executions, the Lord brought a plague uh, upon the people. Okay? So, this is, uh, this is what's been happening. A, a, a Phineas, okay? Phineas stood up, and just like Moses and Aaron before him, he stood up and what? Verse 30, interposed, okay? He's an intercessor. So the plague was stayed. And then look what the, the psalm says. And it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. What was reckoned to him for, for, for righteousness? The fact that he believed the Lord. The fact that he believed in the Lord and in his faith he acted. Not because he acted without believing, but because he believed. And as the scriptures say in, in, in chapter 25, in Numbers 25, he was jealous for the Lord. Wish I had time to, to talk about this a little bit more, but jealousy and envy are not the same thing. Jealousy is, we, we think of it as the same thing today, but we lose the distinction. Jealousy is, is desiring something that rightfully belongs to you. Envy is coveting something that doesn't rightfully belong to you. So jealousy and envy are desires, but one is righteous and one is not. Okay? Okay? So uh, it also says that in Numbers 25 that Phineas made atonement for the people. Okay? Now, where have we seen this phrase before? It was reckoned to him from righteousness, as righteousness. Back in Genesis chapter 15, this is what is said of Abraham. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was reckoned to him righteousness. And the Apostle Paul, much later, thousands of years later, in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 4, says, 
Abraham believed the Lord has reckoned him for righteousness. And this is part of the Apostle Paul's argument that faith alone is the only thing that ever saves. So you believe in God and you don't have to do things in order to win God's favor. In fact, there is nothing you can do to win God's favor. You believe, okay? But as the Scriptures also says in James, faith without works is dead. So that faith uh, that saves acts alone, but the, safe that, the, the faith that saves is never alone, okay? It comes along with acts. So Phineas, he believed the Lord. He acted on that. Abraham believed the Lord. He left his home country. He, believed, he acted on that. And likewise, when we believe in the Lord and we are granted salvation, our lives change because we act on that. Okay? But it's all from the grace of God. It's all from the grace of God. Okay? So we say this. Okay? It was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. Next point on your outline, the Meribah incident. Okay? Okay, again, this is toward the uh, end of the 40 years in the desert. We're now turning back a few chapters to Numbers 20. Numbers 20, okay? Numbers 20. Um, without reading it, Numbers 20 basically tells the story about how the people were complaining that there, weren't, there wasn't water. So, Mo- so God told Moses to speak to the rock But Moses didn't speak to the rock. He actually struck the rock twice and then said, he used his own words instead of the words God told him to use. And he said, uh, this is in verse 10, 20 verse 10, listen now you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of the rock? And then he struck the rock. Okay. Now, the sad part about it is that he'd... He'd already done this once, and he'd actually been commanded by the Lord in Exodus 17 to strike the rock, and he did, and the water came out of the rock. This time, he was told to speak to the rock, but he didn't speak to the rock. He spoke to the people, and he did it harshly, or as it says here, rashly in the Psalm 106. Okay? So God's still gracious. He still gives them water to drink, okay? but he says, to, he says to Moses and Aaron, verse 12, okay? Numbers 20, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Okay? Your discipline is going to be you are going to die before entering the promised land. Okay? So that's exactly what happened. Okay? They provo- okay, so back to the psalm, verse 32. They provoked God to wrath at the waters of Meribah so that it went hard with Moses on their account. Moses was disciplined because they were rebellious against his spirit. Moses spoke rashly with his lips. Now, here's something we're going to talk about a little bit later. God is a God which is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Here we see it in the scriptures. They were rebellious against his scriptures, the third person of what we call the Trinity. Okay? So God is, is one God in three persons. Okay? Generally speaking, when we read about the Lord in the, uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, we, we're talking about the Father. Okay? But he, he also sends forth his spirit. Uh, and some people uh, see you know, the Son uh, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures as well. 
Nonetheless, nonetheless, verse 34, next slide in your outline, okay? The snare of Canaan, verse 34 to 39. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. We read a little bit about this already in uh, the Baal Peor incident, okay? All right, they did not. What Israel was supposed to do was to go into the land militarily and utterly destroy all of the inhabitants of the land, okay? So this brings up a question. I wish I had just a little bit more time. But anyway, I'm going to go there. Did, the, did God command genocide? Did God command genocide? Yes, he did. The short answer is yes. But we have to understand the context. Okay? The Canaanites were evil. Not only did they worship false gods, but they also engaged in a lot of other evil practices. Uh, for example, right, worshiping false gods, Sodom and Gomorrah, if you recall, right, and child sacrifice, which the scriptures talk about, this psalm talks about. Now, there isn't a specific narrative that speaks in detail about child sacrifice, but there's many examples in the scriptures about, uh, about how uh, the Canaanites did this and how the Israelites joined them in this. Okay? Before they even entered the promised land, God warned them about child sacrifice to demonic false gods. Okay? Leviticus 18.21, in the law, he says, You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech. That's the demon that, that you burn your children to. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 12. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you are going in to dispossess, okay, you're supposed to wipe them out, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods that I may also do likewise? They did that, by the way. Okay, spoiler alert. For every abominable act which the Lord hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Okay, horrible. Okay, but unfortunately, the people of Israel and even the kings of Israel and Judah also sacrificed their children. So later in 2 Kings we read, but Ahaz, king of Judah, walked in the way of the kings of Israel and even made his son pass through the fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. A few chapters later, Manasseh, king of Judah, made his son pass through the fire, sacrificed his son, practiced witchcraft, used divination, dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Okay? Right? There were good kings, of course. Right? So in 2 Kings 23, Josiah, good king. Right? That's why kids named, uh, people named their kids Josiah. No one's, no one's naming their kid Ahaz or Manasseh. But we got kids named Josiah, people named Josiah. King of Judah defiled Topheth, okay, that no man might, that's a place of worship where that, where that happens, so that no man may, uh, might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire for Molech. Okay? So clearly it had been going on. And then much later, we, we read a little bit of Ezekiel before, and we read it again. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is the Lord speaking, thus said the Lord our God, Will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and play the harlot after their detestable things? When you offer your gifts, when you cause your sons to pass through the fire, you are defiling yourselves with all your idols in this day. Okay, to this day. So, 
That's what the Canaanites did. They were evil in many, many different ways. So they deserved, they deserved death. Okay? Now, the defense of God's character in ordering this to happen to the Canaanites is rooted in God's attributes. First of all, he's perfectly holy. We are sinful in every aspect of our being, a doctrine we call total depravity, but he is perfectly holy. He's also the creator. So as the scripture says, he is the potter, and we humans are the clay, the creations. He has the right to destroy us. He's also omniscient, so he knows everything that goes on. He knows all our sin. He's also a judge as both being holy and omniscient. He is able to judge perfectly. He's omnipotent. He has the power to carry out all his judgments as a judge, but he's also gracious, okay? He forgives some, not all, but he forgives some, and not out of any merit, but out of his grace only, okay? So he's gracious. He's also sovereign. He has the authority to carry out his decisions and his judgments, and also to choose who he's going to save and who he's not going to save. Now, the combination of sovereignty, grace, and his omniscience says that he knows whom he is going to give grace to and save. Those are names that are written in the book of life, as the scripture says. But he is not obligated to give grace to anyone. He's not obligated to give grace to anyone. We cannot manipulate him into doing something that God does not want to do, which is to give grace. Okay? We have no claim against God. For, this, for us, for us, this means that every breath Every heartbeat we take as sinful people is by God's grace. Because the moment that we sinned, God could have struck us down, could have taken our lives, which for me and for many others, as you guys know, most of us being parents, would be at a very young age. There would be no reproduction, right? He could have wiped out Adam from the very beginning, but he didn't. He's gracious. He's gracious even to let us have this next breath, this next heartbeat. He's patient. Okay, this is another one of God's attributes. He's patient even for the Canaanites. So get this, right? He allowed them to do all of this evil for thousands of years. Not even the babies or the young children are truly innocent because they were born with a sinful nature. And besides, if he did decide to extend grace to any of those individuals, young or old, it's his prerogative to do that. And even if they did die, they're with him in heaven, right? So he's gracious and he's patient. Now, it's easy for us to judge an ancient culture's horrific practices, but our culture does the same thing as Canaan, right? Do we not worship false gods of money, sex, fame, power? Do we not have also the LGBTQ plus revolution going on in full force in our midst? Yes, we do. And do we not also sacrifice our children to the fire? We do. If you Google what happens to medical waste body parts and what happens to aborted fetuses, all of that stuff is incinerated. And to the extent that some of the so-called medical waste is actually corpses of unborn babies, those are human bodies that are being killed in the womb and burned by fire. The main differences between the ancient Canaanites and us is that they waited until their babies were born, what we would euphemistically call post-birth 
abortion, right? And their false god had a different name. They worshipped Molech, but we worship freedom, maybe specifically reproductive freedom, right? Or economic independence, or possibly our careers. That's why we can't have babies. That's why we don't want to have babies. That's why we want to go and get abortions, okay? It's easy to see it in foreign cultures. Not so easy to see our own idolatry. All right. Next point. Point eight on your outline, the period of the judges. This stanza uh, refers to the period of the judges, a 400-year period starting from the conquest of the Promised Land until the ascension of the first king of Israel, King Saul, in 1050 B.C. So it's a real historical period. This is captured in the book of Judges. Okay. Uh, some commentators, I was reading about this Psalm 106, think that this refers to the conquering of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. and then the exile of the southern kingdom to Judah, to Babylon, later in 586 B.C. But it seems more likely to me that the psalm was written during those later years. And then this stanza refers to the earlier years of the Judges. Okay, so between the Exodus in 1445 B.C. and the first king, King Saul, in 1050 B.C., right? 400 years, right? So in 2020, our church preached through this entire book, so you can check out the uh, entire series on, online or in the app, which I mentioned earlier. We preached through all of the 21 books, uh, chapters of Judges, okay? There was this cycle as we preached through. The cycle is the people were unfaithful, then God disciplined them, allowing an oppressor nation to conquer them. They then cried out for mercy. God then raised up a deliverer judge, okay, Gideon and, and all, uh, other guys, right? Uh, then he would give them victory. There would be peace and faithfulness on the part of the people of Israel for decades, 40 years sometimes, right? And then they would slip back down into apostasy once again, okay? And then this cycle would repeat itself several times during, during those centuries, okay? So that's what, that's what uh, this says right here, right? It says, uh, it says here, da, 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 da. therefore the uh, anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, verse 41, then he gave them into the hand of the nations and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, they were subdued under their power, Many times, right, there's this cycle. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel and so sank down in their iniquity. It was a downward spiral. So even though the, the cycle happens, the cycle never gets back to the, the most faithful. It, it cycles downward and downward and downward. Okay, that's what happens in the period of the judges. All right, All right now we start coming back out, right? So remember, there was this chiastic structure. It's an X. So now we have, we're, we're to point C prime, God's love and mercy. Now the poem is coming out of uh, its, its symmetry in, in verses 6 through 12. The psalmist speaks about Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea. In this psalm is stanza, the psalmist writes about the deliverance from a different group of oppressors, not the Egyptians, but the Moabites, the Midianites, the Canaanites, the Philistines, etc. Right? Nevertheless, verse 44, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant for his name's sake. Uh, for their sake, and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Okay? This is that cycle, the, the cycle of 
of, of uh, redemption for the people, right? And it says here covenant. A covenant is a contract, an agreement, a promise. The covenant referred to here is that original covenant that the Lord made with the father of the nation, Abraham. He promised Abraham that he would multiply his offspring into a great people group, a great nation, that would be a blessing to all the other people groups or the other nations of the world. The covenant is unilateral on behalf of the Lord. That is, the Israelites don't do anything on their part to enter into it. The covenant is also unconditional. It's unilateral and unconditional. Again, the Israelites don't have any contractual obligations on their part. The Lord, then, is being faithful to His covenant even though the Israelites were repeatedly unfaithful. They played the harlot. They prostituted themselves. Right? But He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of their captors. The Lord does this to glorify Himself as we read about with the Red Sea, right? So that all the other nations will know that he is the one and only true God and all-powerful. That's why the other nations were so fearful of the Israelites when they came to conquer the promised land. Okay? Point, uh, point, ooh, what happened here? point uh, B prime, there's a prayer of salvation. Now he says, the psalmist says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Okay? Verse 47 verses, uh, mirrors verses 4 and 5, where the psalmist moves from talking about the Lord to talking directly to the Lord in prayer. Okay, the prayer, once again, is for salvation. It's a mirror. The prayer includes thanks, as we read in verse 1. The prayer is to gather us from the nations. This implies the psalm was written at a time when the Israelites were actually scattered among the nations. Most likely then, the psalm was written during the historical era when the Jews were scattered, perhaps uh, when the northern kingdom of Israel was taken over by, uh, uh, by the Assyrians, like I said, 722 B.C., or more likely uh, during or after the southern kingdom of Judah was defeated and carried off into exile into the east by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Pastor Matt has been preaching a sermon series on the post-exilic prophets and histories. It's been a while since we've been back there, but uh, hopefully in the new year he'll, he'll come back to it. Um, the nation of Israel at that era is weak, right? But God is faithful and He is powerful, and He has a plan to sustain the nation so that He can execute His plan of redemption for the nation of Israel and for all of humanity. Okay, And that's where we get to point A prime, verse 48, which is another, a mirror or a doxology of God. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Right? So we, we say that. Literally, it's, it's praise the Lord is, is hallelujah. Okay. So, what does this mean for us in closing? God's love, deliverance, and mercy. We talked about it yesterday in the past, and now we talk about it today. So, as the Lord has delivered the nation of Israel and carried out his plan of redemption, it culminates in the thing that we see decorated around this room today, the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about how God is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
God the Father speaking throughout the, the Hebrew Scriptures, God the, God the Holy Spirit being sent by the Father at various different points in time during the Scriptures. And we read about the Spirit in, in the Psalm. Right? But at the right time, says Galatians in the New Testament, at the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, the offspring, the descendant of Abraham, right? the descendant of King David and the heir to King David of his throne. He is the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, a, 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 a human man who was God from all eternity, no beginning, no end, had that God nature, which we talked about, but took on 2,000 years ago a human nature, was incarnated in the womb, and was born, and lived a life as a human man. Right? Carried out his mission, did his work perfectly, was betrayed, died on the cross. God cannot die, so God had to become a man so that, man, so that God could die on behalf of sinful human man. God gave his life God the Son, Jesus, gave his life to pay a debt that he did not owe because we owe a debt that we cannot pay ourselves. And then he was raised on the third day to defeat death, to show us that death is the enemy that is going to be defeated, and it's a down payment or a promise of our future resurrection as well, so that as we perish in these perishing bodies, we are all going to die unless the Lord comes back and we go to meet him in the air. But we are all going to die of physical death. But like the scriptures say, we are going to go into the ground like a seed goes into the ground, like a seed has to perish, so that the immortal or the imperishable can spring up and take root. And that is the promise. Because we, what does the scripture say? The scripture says, we have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. That is us talking, friends. We are sinful, but God is holy and God is gracious. And just like it says here also, uh, uh, Phineas was reckoned to him for righteousness. All we have to do, all you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus who died for your sins and God will reckon to that to you as righteousness. He will put all of your sin onto Jesus who died on the cross. And he will put all of Jesus' righteousness and impute it to you. So that is the invitation. The invitation at Christmas time, the invitation at Easter time, the invitation at all times is for us to come to Jesus and have our sins forgiven. Okay? Because we have behaved wickedly. What we deserve is death and the rest of eternity in a burning lake of fire hell. But what we can receive instead is grace and mercy and empowerment in this life, but pleasure at the right hand of God forevermore in the life to come. That's the invitation. So, so take it. Take it, friends. And those of us who have already taken that, I, I implore you, spread this good news. Right? Praise the Lord. G give thanks in His name. And then in that, go and spread the word. Spread the good news of Jesus your friends and neighbors, your loved ones, everyone who is perishing, right? and believe it yourself. Okay? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. May your mouth speak out of the overflow, which is the love of God and the good news of Jesus in your heart. Now let's not 
end Thanksgiving weekend without giving thanks and praise to God for the ultimate gift, the gift of salvation. We also declare the good news of Jesus uh, in the way that he told us to. When we gather, we do what? We take a small meal. That is where we've come to. Let's declare the good news of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. It is a picture of the gospel. When we uh, take the wafer, we commemorate the fact that Jesus died and gave up his body, which is the bread, to reconcile sinners to God. When we drink the juice, we commemorate the fact that Jesus paid his precious blood to secure the new covenant, the new promise that God made to save sinners because we, not because we are good, but because Jesus is good. So we're going to take the bread, we're going to take the juice, and as a closing prayer, let's pray the prayers of praise and thanks and salvation, verses 1 through 5 and verses uh, 47 through 48. <sighs> praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord or can show forth all his praise? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord.